Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Hey, before we get started with today's show, I just want to draw your attention to new merchandise. Funkin' Stuff and Truth and Rhythm designs are in, and they look pretty darn cool. So show your support, help support the program, and show off some stylish merchandise and apparel. Only at the Funkin' Stuff store. So you got the MCA deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, how did that experience uh, differ, better or worse, than uh, the previous one? Well, I was able to have some kind of creativity in this one. Um, and they, they, they paid attention to me and, and, you know, were trying to come up with a great promotional package for me to, to introduce me. So they... Um, before I even did the record, they wanted me to do uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2. That's how they were trying, that's how they wanted to introduce me, which they had uh, the, the producer, Howie Rice, produce it. Howie Rice did Patti LaBelle before, I think, but she wasn't on this second Beverly Hills Cop 2. So the song that she was supposed to sing, she didn't do it. So they, Lil Silas and, and, and MCA wanted, had me to do the song. So I guess that was like an introduction before. And she had new attitude on the first one, I think. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then uh, she was supposed to do a song called I Can't Stand It. But I ended up doing it, which was really cool, you know. I kind of carried my brother with me on all my work, you know, and... Uh, doing sessions and things like that. Well, Blue Velvet, I mean, was way beyond that first record, no question, <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, and you had Jesse on there, and uh, how, how did you end up getting Jesse incorporated into, into that? Well, at, at first, um, they wanted Terry and Jimmy to do the record. Uh, but they turned me down. Um, and I think they were just, you know, doing all kinds of, you know, they were into, they were doing Sherelle, they were doing, you know, and I think that they just, sometimes, you know, sometimes P 
people get swamped, busy doing records, and sometimes, you know, I guess they are they are in that position to pick and choose who they want to do, and you know, they they really only know me by through Minnesota back in the day, you know. So um, they turned me down, and little Silas said, "Well, who else from Minneapolis you think, you know?" that you would want to do your record and I said Jesse Johnson they said well can you, you can you get a, find him so I found him called him I said hey I need you to do this record Terry and Jimmy you know uh, turned me down he, he answered that call immediately and made the deal and I went to Minnesota back to Minneapolis and um, worked on that album in the midst of working on Love Struck, in the midst of working, you know, he was doing like movies and recording records and, you know, he was just like multitasking hard, competitively, consistently, you know, and so I ended up going there doing the record. But when I got there, Scott, he had all the songs in another key, a key that was so high and he was basing it off of when I was younger. He wasn't like saying, well, what key you think? Let's check your keys. So, and back then it was the two inch tapes. So you really couldn't like go back and, you know what I mean? Um, so he says, well, you're going to sing it. I said, okay. So, you know, we end, he ended up doing that record, which was a lot of fun. I had a great time doing that record, that Blue Velvet album, because I had more creative uh, creativity and the producers that um, I picked and wanted to work, you know, always wanted to work with. Um, but I ended up doing the Action Jackson movie, at his, you know, writing that song, playing piano, you know, and... Love Struck, I did, you know, in the midst of in-between albums of me doing my album, I was kind of doing his stuff and, you know, so that's, it was really cool. Man, just hearing you say Love Struck, that's one of my favorite Jesse tracks for sure. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, great. such a fierce groove. Yeah. I still listen to that. Every now and then I'll put that Love Struck on, you know. <laughs> mm -mm. Um, fiction was like a kind of a Tamara uh Minneapolis kind of funk track on that record and uh, Boyfriend was sort of like a Pebbles kind of sort of reminded me of like a Pebbles kind of dance track but you also had on that record people like um, the Lewis Brothers from uh, Atlantic Star and um, uh, uh, M2May was on a track and my 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 uh, my sweethearts all of them are great uh Fiction was actually for Morris Day in the time, and um, he was getting ready to cut that for Morris because it was like a takeoff of Jungle Love. Um, and I begged him for the track. I says, "I need that track to let them know that I can go there too. I can be funky and I can be low." And and uh, it took me like three days to talk to Sue into giving me that song. I was like, you don't even know, you know, I was like, Morris ain't going to do better than me, you know. <laughs> but, you know, what do I know, you know. But, yeah, that was, fiction was a takeoff, really a a, a second of Jungle Love. Um, 
Yeah. And then you did a cover of Rocksteady. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, Jesse is such an enigma uh, to most of us uh, and, and such a talent, too. And I met him once. I went backstage at a show he did in Anaheim one time. And he's nice enough, you know, but um, a, a little distant, um, at least, you know, in that initial meeting. What, what can you tell us about Jesse the man? Jesse, man, is, is very, very a sensitive cat. Very sensitive. You know, Jesse, Jesse's a great cook, a great father, man. He, he's, the, he's my daughter's godfather. Uh, you know, Jesse is just, is about, um, I don't need to talk. I'm, my music speaks for itself. And, you know, he's knowledgeable, man. He's just knowledgeable in anything that you want to talk about. You know, he, he knows about, um, he's very realistic, you know, he's not, you know, somewhere oblivious of anything. He's very on point of what he's doing. He's focused. Um, he just, he's just one of those kind of musicians that, you know, he's not looking to do what everybody else wants him to do. He's just kind of like, he's from Rock Island. He's from, well, he's from St. Louis. You know, uh, when I found Jesse, he was playing in a biker bar with doing blues. Uh, that's really where his first love is, is blues and that kind of thing, you know. It, you know, but as far as um, his personality, man, he's awesome, man. When I work with him, it's like, it's like working with my brother. Like, I've been Jesse's girlfriend Longer than all his real girlfriends, you know what I mean. So I I know him. I I've been there with his kids being born. I, he's been there for mines. You know he was my wedding. You know. So, but he trusts me with his heart and what you know anything that he talks about. I don't you know. You know, just like, you know, there's just a certain code thing that, you know, that I have with certain people in Minnesota, you know, that I don't really get into. However, it's their business, a personal thing. But as far as, you know, Jesse's, Jesse's nice. I mean, you know, he he's kind of one of those people that when he, when he feels the way he feels, he feels the way he feels. He doesn't sugarcoat with you. He's not going to sit and be, you know, it's it's really who, he's just a person that he will tell me, you know, um, you know, I'm just not feeling, I'm, no, I don't want to do that record. And there's some, you know, there there are some things, you know, between the time and what, you know, they've been through together, you know, however, um, Jesse has his reasons that people really don't know. Beam and them have their reasons that, you know, they try not to share. But for the most part, you can't take this brother's talent, man. He is one of the most resilient geniuses, man, to work with in the studio. Genius, like I mean, he's got that extra thing. It's just like for me, like 
it's like I asked George Clinton one time. I was working with George. I said, George, how do you deal with Scheider and Eddie and all of these cats and Boogie and them? He said, they're just geniuses. <laughs> they're just geniuses, man. I, I, you know, I said, how do you? They got so much going on. He said, yeah, but they're geniuses. That's how this dude is. He's just a genius in what he does, you know. Um, and he's just very, uh, you know, to himself. He doesn't, you know, he's just one of them kind of people that just is kind of like kind of an introvert. He's, he's more probably an introvert than anything. He's an extrovert with me, but, you know. And when, he, just, has a, and when he has a six string in his hands, but otherwise. <laughs> Yeah, he's just a music dude. He just, you know, but he's a normal cat, you know. He goes and picks his daughter from school, and he does all nine, you know. He, he can cook, though. That's what I gotta say. He cooks a mean salmon, man, and <laughs> and stuff like that, but, you know. But uh, some people are just strange, man, that are just geniuses. Some people are weird, different. You know, you know what I'm saying. There's certain things about me that may be a little quirky to people. Sure. You know, but when yeah. it comes down to the music, that's what we that's what we want to do. You know, Prince had his personality like that, but it came down to the music. Everything that's where all the feeling came in. You know, that's when he was talking to you. You know, so. I heard though, um, you know, that Je I mean Jesse can be a task map. I mean he wants to get down to business when he's in a recording situation, and there's music to be done. He is all business. And I like that. He's all business. He don't want to hear about. He'll work with you, but if he, you know, he'll work with you. But, uh, it, you know, but nobody likes to do a bunch of work. And nobody likes to do a bunch of work and then not be either celebrated for their work or appreciated or paid for their work. What they, you know, what, what the business end was talked about. Um, I know when we work, you know, we did that Blues in My Sunshine album in 10 days. Done. But... The drums were like 30 more days of mixing drum, drums and making sure it's sounding blues, you know. But, yeah, we work, me and him have like a connection. We work together, man, no matter what situation arises. He is like, we get in there and knock it out and, you know, and he's just, he's just good. He's just great at mixing. He's great at producing it. He's, he's just one of those cats, man, the sound that he comes with is just so amazing it's great but um it's like anybody else you know some people are more serious than each other in the business end you know what i mean uh, some people get nervous when they have to do the business you know when it comes down okay well this is how much I, you know they you know so you know it's no different than you know uh, you know working <laughs> working with a big star and somebody saying, oh, yeah, she's just hard to work with. No, she's not hard to work with. She just knows what she wants and she's bringing it to you. And 
maybe she you might think she's hard to or he or she is hard to work with because they're just letting you know what they need they're not well, agreeing with everything there, there, there needs to be a mutual respect and you know understanding that person's process and respecting that and the results speak for themselves so that's how I feel about it exactly I hope I didn't go around the bin with it but <laughs> Uh, well, you know, you have a, a unique perspective uh, working so closely with, with Jesse and so many uh, people love him and love his music. And, um, you know, it's just nice to hear uh, more of a personal side of it and, and not just um, know him only through uh, hearing his music or hearing controversy around him and what happened with the time, that sort of thing. Right. Know? Yeah. And I know all of what's transpired, you know. I hear it from Bean. I hear it from Monty. I, you know, then I, you know, I just kind of like this. Mom's the word. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's move on. Um, you mentioned uh, George and that whole scene. Um, what What is your um, affiliation with P-Funk? Um, well, you know, I, I knew P-Funk long time i mean through uh a friend of mine eban kelly who just passed away too and um uh eban used to kind of go out with george and stuff so i would um and i knew andre fox real well um um kind of being in the same circles in the studio things like that you know just being a fan you know knowing somebody that is affiliated with george and that hey i want to meet george man i'm i just grew up on him and because i really started gra gravitating to that funk when bootsy came out and you know and um george came out um but just meeting them being in the studio recording in one room they're in another room hearing that all that funk coming out of that room and, and just uh getting to know all of them, you know, Trey Lude and Andre Fox and uh plus um matter of fact I did a I did this record Painkiller. Uh Eddie Hazel is on there but not mentioned. Eddie Hazel is on a song on my Painkiller album uh called When Johnny Comes Marching In Tonight. It's got Robert Wilson from the Gap Band and Eddie Hazel's on there playing on on painkiller on pain not on painkiller on the song called when johnny comes marching in oh yeah because i know well that has the p-funk horns on it so i was going to ask mm -hmm. you about that mm -hmm. and eddie but eddie hazel did like some tracks on there and played on there not sure why his name wasn't mentioned on there however um i was i was there i seen him <laughs> and uh we had you know we are and george was recording some stuff too in the other room doing some other stuff in the studio called um dub master that was on magnolia i think in lancashire um and i think he loved painkiller and then he was doing trailude's record and so he asked he said hey can you come to sound castle and do some backgrounds and i said yeah I came to Soundcastle, did some backgrounds for Trey Lude on his record to find out George got a call from MCA and said, 
you got to take her off. She can't be on that record. And I was so, he was like, okay. So he had to take me off and put, I think Sheila and somebody else on there. Uh, but uh, it's just all through affiliation. Then um, uh, me and Trey Lude were close. And so he, um, he wrote this song about me called Susu. And uh, I was really like shocked to hear this song. I didn't know? know that was about you. It's about me. Wow. That's a cool track. And I think it's on uh, how late do you have to be or before yeah. you're absent? Yeah. Before you're absent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that song is about me. <laughs> he mentioned my nickname that uh, Su 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 Bookie Baby. And I didn't really never, you know, you can't really understand Trey Lute half of the time. I mean, I can now, but I used to just always nod my head. Yeah, yeah, Trey Lute, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, but I know George had a, a deal with it. I mean, he had deals with everybody, but he had a deal with MCA uh, the same time you were there for a, a Funkadelic album that they scrapped. But uh 89, he was on MCA for um, the Funkadelic album. They only put out a 12-inch single, and they, for whatever reason, they didn't put it out. What single was that? What's that? What what single? By way of the drum. You know, I, I you know, it's I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. Yeah. I just I just know that when I was doing the Painkiller album, they had put that thing on the shelf, man, for so long that I was just. By that time, Pebbles was coming out, uh, you know, Guy was out, you know, the new Jack Swing was out. My record was kind of like on this whole funk baptized kind of vibe, Painkiller and PMS and and MC. And by the time it was coming out, you know, there was nothing on the record that represented new Jack. And so... Uh, um, Seven Days, Seven Nights came uh, at the last minute again. <laughs> you know, we had to find, they, we had to figure out, and that's when Lainey Stewart came in and did uh, Seven Days, Seven Nights. Do you know that I, that record uh, is on Amazon now? It shows for $969. Get out of here. <laughs> How can I get the 900? <laughs> uh, didn't you stash uh, uh, boxes full of these somewhere? No. Uh. No. You know, <laughs> I don't think I ever got paid on that record. I, You know what? I never got paid on any of those kind of those records I did. You know, never. Uh, I never got any kind of compensation for those records. Did, no. did you did you do some videos uh, for those two records? I just did one, um, the Seven Days Seven Nights, and it's so ironic because it's so funny because a week before that record was about to be gold, they dropped me. Wow. Ernie Singleton came in and Lul was out. And anything that Lul had signed that was just not like a big hit, um, they got rid of and they dropped me. We were getting ready to do the video to, I think, Sex or Love. They dropped me. 
Carl's on that one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you ever heard of the group 101 North? George Duke was doing a song with uh um for his record, the broken uh um and he had my brother sing it called So Easy. And um he just he did the record, he went to the radio station just to test it out, and the next thing you know, the song was in heavy rotation. And uh, uh, George called my brother and said, "Hey, we need you to put a band together right now. We're gonna we're gonna finish this album. This is gonna be your record." And the record was with Carl, my brother Carl, Everett Hart, Josie James, uh, a few other people. I think Robert Brookins was in it, or me. I, I'm not really sure, but they ended up doing this record. Uh, they had a couple records out. George Duke did. It was 101 North. So when you when you get a chance. Listen to it. Uh, my brother's name is Carl. His song is called "So Easy." Great song, but it really made some noise. Yes. Yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah, thanks. So, when you did those MCA records, did you get to go out on tour at all and perform any of those? No, I think we. I think I did some promotional stuff. Um, you know, like Jack the Rapper back then, Impact, and you know, I think I. Uh, came out and kind of did, we did a couple one-offs, Mary J. Bly's 411 album, and then, you know, the Jack the Rapper was with New Edition and Bobby. However, Bobby uh, called me and wanted me to come out on tour with him on the Don't Be Cruel record. And I was in there just rehearsing and singing, and then Lil walked in and said, what are you doing here? And I says, I'm going out with Bobby. I mean, my record is not even out. He was like, no, 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 honey, you can't go out with Bobby. You, you're getting ready to go on a promotional tour. So I went on a small one, but no, I never really toured that record, no. Now, uh, I think kind of much after that record, uh, I had kind of, um, my, I kind of took a turn in my life and didn't, you know, I was just kind of like kind of done with the MCA thing because they were kind of done with me. So it was kind of like mutual. It was all kind of mutual, you know. And quiet as it's kept, I was pregnant. I was pregnant on that video, and I was scared to tell them. Mm. Uh, I was about I was about three months pregnant on that painkiller record album cover. But I didn't want to tell them because, you know, my whole life has been working, singing, don't have no kids, don't get fat. You know, you, you know, it was a lot of pressure, you know, being in the entertainment business. It, it was a lot of pressure, you know, compared to now, it's a different kind of pressure. But for me, it was just a lot of pressure. You need to stay skinny. You don't need to be eating. You know, you know, I mean, it was just, it was just, it was kind of overwhelming to the point where, I just turned into a natural girl and just was like, I'm doing what I want to do. Y'all can figure this out yourselves. I, I can't even figure all of that out, you know. Um, and plus, I, I really didn't have a knowledge of the record business and publishing and things like that, you know. Uh, you know, I was really banking on Scott, you know, being a full-on star. But, however, I became my worst enemy. You know, just in how I, how I was uh, moving in life and moving 
in the record bit, you know, and just how I was just doing the wrong things. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, uh, I was out there wild and doing, you know, it was the drug, sex, and rock and roll baby for me. Enjoying Hollywood. Yeah. Enjoying Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I was pregnant. And so I was, I was, and then my life uh, had changed, you know, just spiritually and everything. And I was ready to kind of, you know. Change course. Now, because now all the MCA people that were there weren't there no more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, the whole industry changed over so much around right? that time. Yeah, yes, and that was during the time when they were buying Motown thing, and they had my record on hold, and I was like, "Well, just let me out." And they was like, "No, no, no, no." So I kind of lost kind of a uh, hope with that whole thing over there. So you became a mom, and. Uh, and you started, th that's when you started doing some more session stuff, right? In the 90s? That's when I got into that session. Yeah. Stuff. I had had my first daughter who was a um, chronic sickle cell. And I spent a lot of my time at, at the in the hospital with her and figuring out, okay, what are you going to do next? Because my whole thinking in life was I want to do everything in the music business that I can do. And uh, I started, you know, I, I was doing, actually, I didn't know what to do with my life. I was like, I've never had a job. I don't know how, you know, I don't have, you know, the ethics and I don't know how to, I don't know how to work in the workplace. And what real creative person, you know, do you know that can, sit in, with a job and just be craving some music. That's like George Clinton going to get a regular job and putting away music for, you know, I don't need no music. No, you know. Um, then um, I got a call from uh, one of my very great singing friends, Penny Ford. She called me. Uh, she, she, I don't know if you know who Penny Ford is. I'm familiar with her. I don't know her personally. Penny Ford is an amazing singer and did the snap and the whole thing. And she called me. She says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of out of here. I do this session work. If you would like to do some sessions, I'd like to turn you on to such and such. And she turned me on to one producer. And, you know, the next thing you know, I was like a blue light special around LA. You know, I started doing these sessions and beating all these producers and then um one day i was upstairs of this building on sunset and the producer that did part of the other producer that did the painkiller record had a studio up there him and this cat bill myers did a lot of corn stuff and uh i see this chick running through the hallways looking crazy and it was diane warren and she walked up to me and she said, oh, Jimmy said, hey, I want you to meet Sue Ann. She said, oh, can she sing? And he said, can you, and then she said, can you sing? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and she said, uh, meet me at this address tomorrow. I want you to do a demo for me. 
and I went to the studio and it was because she loved me. Celine Dion, Because You Love Me. That was the first song I started with her. Wow. That was uh, quite a fortuitous encounter. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, and I ended up, uh, you know, arranging this song and getting the background singers for Celine's Master and David Foster. And I walked in, and it was David Foster. I was like, is that David Foster? You know, I was like, oh, my God, another new world has opened up, you know. David Foster sitting there, and I hired my brother, and he helped because he was very in tune with all the session singers there, you know. And so I said, I need to put these singers together, and so. And then that's kind of how the ball started rolling. You know, was doing that. So it was a new chapter opened up. Yeah, exactly. Then I got married, had another kid, and you know, I uh, ended up. Um, uh, working with Rod Stewart at like eight, nine months pregnant. One album I worked with him, I wasn't pregnant. Second album, I was pregnant, and we did, we did like some one-offs, and I was pregnant. He wanted me to go on the road, pregnant, and he was going to get a nurse. I was like, I can't do that, man. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I can't even hardly stand up here on this mic no more, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, but you know, things started moving really, really fast in the session world, you know, for me. And that's when I started really kind of like my name was out there now and people wanted, but it was industry name, you know, it was just, I was industry and, um, and, and it was an, it was a great run. It was a really, really nice run. And I, uh, uh, made a lot of money. Did, did you typically, go in the studio when the uh, stars were in there also, or did you go in and cut separate from them? I was in there with some of the stars. Yeah, I was in there. I was in there with quite a few. Was there one or two in particular that stand out in your memory for whatever reason that you could share? Uh, Patty LaBelle was one that stood out. I worked on her record and, um, she was in there recording, and Diane Warren was driving her crazy. And uh, she came out and said to me, can you please help me with Diane? And I, I said, Diane, that's Patti LaBelle. Let her do what she needs to do. She knows the song. Well, you know, she needs it. I said, man, that is Patti LaBelle. If you start talking to her, you're talking to her like she's like a new singer around the block. That woman has been doing songs before you were born, damn. I said, let me go in there and help her with her vocals. So I went in there and helped her with her vocals. And, you know, and, and so uh, Diane felt very trusting with me to do stuff like that. So I would come in there. Since I did the demo... I knew how to produce. I was like, I know how to produce. I'm always producing myself, arranging these vocals, you know. So she would give me a lot of leeway, and then I would go be working with David. Um, I, I, uh, uh, I, I was, I worked real closely, like with Rod Stewart. I was, I worked with Bon Jovi, Edgar Winter. All of, you know, I would be in there with Olita Adams. Both, both Winter brothers, right? I saw that. Yeah, both of them. Yeah, um, I never met Whitney. 
and I never met Celine Dion. Hmm. But uh, Whitney would always tell David, uh, "Go get, go get Celine to sing it. Go get her to do the thing, you know." Which is which is understandable because most really great singers they want to hear something different all the time. So they're like, "We, you know, I know how I sound, but I I might want to take some of her little riffs and you know." Uh, I did meet Tony, and I, I uh, met Aaliyah. I worked with Aaliyah in the studio, and we did uh, the one I gave my heart to, and Christina Aguilera, uh, Taylor Day. I mean, you know, I've met a lot of them, uh, but the two main I wanted to meet, I never got to meet. Hmm. Um, was it strange for some of those? I mean, obviously with Celine Dion and some of the other ones you mentioned, Pay LaBelle, you know they can blow, but some of the, some of the ones on your list I don't need to mention them, you know, are not known for being necessarily great singers. So is it kind of weird when you do backup and maybe you're a stronger singer than the actual <laughs> singer? Yeah, of course. But you know, just the fact that they're you know they they're they're famous and it's good credit credit for me. That's, you know what I'm saying, and you know, just the work alone, you know. Um, I never got into the who could sing better thing. I I was so, I was so intrigued with the work and the process of what me and uh, the producers like working with David. I was in, I was so into the process of arranging that I just didn't even think about if the girl could sing good. However. I understood it. So my demos would, the reason why uh, they would use me to do the demos because I had an awareness not to be too fly singing all the time. I really kept it pop and maybe I would have some variations of something cool. But for the most part, I didn't go in, like when I would do a demo for Tony Braxton or somebody, I didn't go in with the whole idea of doing sounding like Tony. I I could, you know, they would tell me, no, Sue Ann, sound just like just sound like you. Don't don't try to imitate Tony and Whitney and so I just didn't do that. Uh, uh, so I, I I just didn't think about it. I saw a credit on here. Uh, you are on Ishan Cooper's record. Yeah, that's my sweetheart. How'd you connect with him? Through Steve, Steve Boy. Oh, okay. You know, Steve was, you know, they were cool and, and, um, uh, uh, and he just, he asked me to do some stuff for his records. And so, um, uh, Steve would tell me, you know, hey, this dude wants to, know, so we'd be working on the stuff. And then so finally he just said, hey, I want you to do the print song. And I was like, okay. So yeah, but we we talk sometimes, you know. We'll we'll talk to each other, but uh, yeah, a lot of those musicians and stuff, man. I one thing that I love, man, about the funk is that they don't care how how old George is. They don't care who. They just want to come and hear the funk. They get it. It's like his fans, his real fans, get it. They get it. You know, 
and uh, so yeah, I was I was fortunate enough in, uh, to work with uh, a lot of them. You know, uh, working with Dawn on her record, her solo record, I worked on that. Uh, I even I don't know if you remember a song called Disco to Go. Oh yeah, I love it. Okay, so if you did it, I know. Huh? She redid it on that record. Uh, yeah, if you listen to there's verses on there. If you listen to the original um, Disco to Go, that George never did any verses. It was all backgrounds. Well, I I rewrote that song on there. I rewrote all the verses, and that's me singing under there. Hmm. Yeah. Actually, me and my ex-husband wrote that song and put verse. I said, let's put some verses in here. So it just kind of sounds now like a complete song, you know. Uh, and so I wrote these verses, me and him, and um, and I just sung it. And she's just kind of on top right and singing, you know, uh, the song with me. But, yeah, that, that was a great time working with Dawn and, and uh, Jeanette and uh, doing the funk festival. Um, Back in 2010 or 11, that was really cool. And uh, Sheila, love Sheila. I love all them girls, man. They're all they they just brought something that was so authentic and cool. But my favorite dog, and I love. We hung together so tight. Was Malia Franklin, man? Mm, yeah, I know I her. Her, um, her birthday just passed. Mm. Yeah, would have been 69, I think. Yeah, I, I, I was there the night before she passed away at the hospital. And it was, uh, and I just sung to her. I just sung all these gospel songs to her. I know she heard me, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was my girl. Like a true friend of mine. All Funketeers owe her a lot of gratitude for, you know, bringing so many great talents together. And Thank you as well as the stuff she did herself, so. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Well, I brought Jesse to the time. Oh, I, don't know, I don't know any other story, but I'm the one who found him first and brought him to Minneapolis. Uh, <laughs> oh, I had to put that in there, but. Um, well, you mentioned but, 20, 2010 um, was a date you just mentioned. I think that's the year that blues record came out with uh, Jesse and you. Um, how, how did that come come together? And um, it's hard to find, but I, you know, telling viewers and listeners, you know, seek it out because it's the real blues. It actually happened. Uh, I was working with a, a blues artist named Zach Harmon, who used to a great producer. He produced Karen uh, White stuff, and he he produced, I think, the hit for a group called Troop, and he had. Um, decided that he wanted to uh, do blues. And he went into this blues world. He was a great friend of mine. We wrote a lot of stuff together for Freddie Jackson. We did all kinds of music together. And then um, he called me to do a duet on his record. And so I did a song called Wounded on his, um, his record and toured. I was opening up for Bobby Blue Bland and Willie Clayton and all these amazing blues cats. I was just like, wow, this is another world too. <laughs> and I did like some festivals. Came down by your parts and did the Soul Train, I mean the Coltrane 
jazz festival down there. Uh, I think 2011, they were doing these um, um, Coltrane Jazz Festival series, I think, every year. And so I went down there with Zach Harmon and did it. And then finally I said, you know what? I really want to do something different. I've, I've covered every genre. And I'd like to just do something that I want to do. And so I called Jesse and said, hey, man, I need you to, I want to do a blues record. He says, well, how do you want the blues record? I says, I want you to do the blues record like if it was your album and not my album. Do it like how you would do your blues record. And so that's what we that's what we did. You know, he incorporated some things that he knew about me. Um, uh, there's a track on there called Blues in My Sunshine, which is the title track. talks about a testimony that my ex-husband wrote the song because he knows me. You know, I don't know if you know my ex-husband, but... Um, uh, but it was some really great stuff on there. Then we wrote a song about my father because he was a drummer. So we did kind of that swing type, bluesy jazz type thing, you know. Uh, but the album was a phenomenal, phenomenal album. It was, it, I, I have to say, it was one of the greatest masterpieces I've ever done, you know, thus far. But Definitely the, the most raw thing that you've been able to do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was really great. And, uh, you know, went to Minneapolis and sold out a couple shows there and uh, one show, and it was really great. We had, we had a good time. And I did some shows and stuff and was opening up for people. But, uh, but again, you know, I really didn't, we didn't really go full force into the thing. That's a record that you can put on right now and not even get tired of it and I can truly honestly say that you know because it just sounds new every time you play it for somebody it's not like it's not like I'm saying oh no I don't want to hear that no I could hear that album yeah as long as it's well recorded the blues are timeless yes you know? absolutely mm -hmm. yeah so after uh you know from like the 90s on you know did you cross paths with Prince at all and, you know, leading up to uh, when he left us? And yeah, I did. I, I, he was playing um, the Hard Rock, and I went to the show, and I stood right to the stage and was, like, flicking my fingers on his toes like that, you know, just kind of flicking my fingers on his toes. I was right up on the stage, and I looked up, and he looked down, and he smiled, and he just winked, and that was it. You know, I didn't. I didn't try to go back there and you know do you know. Talk. I just wanted him to see. I just wanted to connect with each other. You know, he looked like he was. He looked like he was just refreshed to see a face that he knew. You know, because he just looked down at me and just kind of cracked a smile and went. And kind of you know, and I turned, kind of walked away, and you know. What year about was that? Uh, 2015. So was he with Third Eye Girl? Yeah, he was with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was very bittersweet, man. I mean, it was bittersweet, but I mean, just the whole, 
situation of it was just uh, I, I didn't see that I don't think anybody seen that coming you know Jesse was kind of uh, I could tell he was kind of numb for you know uh, he was kind of numb about that he and then he was angry because you know he's he's one of those that really knows some stuff you know and has told me some you know some things about Prince and who he really you know who he really was that you know yeah everybody you know everybody tells their side and you know what they know and then you know there are some people that are not true telling things and however one thing about uh, Jesse Johnson if he tells you something you better bet your bottom dollar is the truth mm. well I know Jesse went and played at the tribute at Paisley Park you know um, yeah so I mean he definitely paid some respects mm-hmm you know. I mean, you know, you know, he understands, you know, Prince was, was the biggest part of his life like that. You know, he gets it, you know. Uh, but I, I just kind of wish that they would have um, really settled whatever was going on with them. You know, uh, but it just never really panned out. You know, people people go their own ways, and sometimes people can be prideful. You know, and and wait on people, and sometimes it's too late. Yeah, I think there's a lot of non-closure issues with with you know. Oh, there is. Yeah, there's oh, there is so much non-closure that, and you know what. You know, we might not ever know all of it, but, you know, but one thing, I'll tell you one thing that I do miss, man, more than anything is I would rather see the whole original time than to see half time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what he called. He calls more. He said, oh, the halftime band. <laughs> I'd say, no, you guys. Yeah, we're, we're the whole time. We're the... <laughs> I understand. I've never been big on nostalgia because as a true Funketeer, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't think true Funketeers aren't very nostalgic. You, you know, we want serious, original jamming. Yes. You know, it's got to have the core feeling and the core people to be authentic and real. And um, yeah. you can't, you know. Don't fake the funk. Don't fake the funk, man. You know, I mean, going to hear, you know, as as me growing up listening, you know, George and Bootsy, you know, um, my first, I think, two concerts I uh, went to was uh, with Prince, who was Bootsy in the Barcase, and the other one was Patrice Russian because he was trying to get her to be in his band. And she looked at him like, dude, do you know who I am? I've got hits. You're still on your little beginning thing here. But, um, 
Yeah. But I think even working, you know, when I, I've done some things with uh, George on stage live, it's just been just, I always call them my funk baptism music. That's where I get my spiritual awakening is with George. What what tracks have you gotten to uh, participate in on stage? Do you remember? Well, the whole show I've done. Oh, you've done whole shows? Sometimes, yeah. I got pictures on stage. Um, uh, I got pictures on stage with me and him. He flew me once to, I think, Orlando, Texas or something and had me um, perform. Uh, I opened up for him. At BB Kings in New York, I did the blues record and opened up. He let me open up uh, the whole show and do like a couple hours. It's online. Sound wasn't good. It was kind of dry. You know, they didn't, you know, it was the house recording, so it didn't have that, you know, you couldn't hear the, you didn't hear the audience or anything, but, um, but yeah. He used to say, hey, uh, so man, you, need, you need to write your book. And I say, write a book? What am I going to write about? He said, you know everybody. He said, everybody know you. You've you been through a lot of stuff. I say, okay, write a book. I didn't even think about that. I said, so what am I going to name the book, George? He said, shit, you in all Prince, Prince's books? He said, name the book. I got a book, too. <laughs> <laughs> and now he has a book, but when yeah. I uh, was with him in 89, I was asking him to let me write his book, and he was like, I'm not ready yet. You yeah. Know? He was not ready. Do you write books? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wrote um, this one. Wow. I want that book. Where is that book? Where can I buy that book at? Oh, well, it's on Amazon, but... Okay. Um, mm -hmm. I've always been a crusader to try to get funk better legitimized, better attention, and all the artists to get the acclaim and attention and hopefully money that they they deserve. So, oh, that's awesome. You know, I heard and seen your name for so long, and um, you know, because you were close to the scene that I've been into forever, Thanks. but you know never connected so and i'm thinking we must have probably been at some of the same things when i was in los angeles and just didn't know and you know so it's funny so i'm glad we finally connected when i you look like i've met you before i think i've met you at one of the, the concerts you know uh, uh george's did you go there a lot all the time yeah i've seen yeah, yeah. and i've been backstage too because you know um I know George a little bit, and sometimes you know I, I I reminisce back on the '90s, and you know, and I I miss those times because you know we we really had real feel good music. I just go back some nights, and I'll be in the middle of I'll start dancing and listening to some Frankie Beverly and some Cameo and some Function and Bootsy and you know and just. Ah, and it just almost kind of refreshes your spirit. That's why I just call it funk baptism music. You know? Yeah, this stuff's like spinach. I was telling people when I do my um, workout, 
you know, that stuff is like sp Popeye spinach for me. You know, it's like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why I, I was so honored. And thank you again. I was so honored to be on your platform because you represent the authenticness of music, not just funk, but music, period. Great music, authentic music. I like who he's interviewing and I like what he's representing and what you were talking about in your um, uh, your bio thing you know you was you know and and that's why I wanted to do I that I wanted to do your show because I just don't do everybody's show but you know I, I it was I'm honored thank you for even having me <laughs> well thank you for being on Sue Ann it's been a pleasure and I hope that uh, we'll do it again because like you said there's so many stories <laughs> and I'm very proud of you man thank you for, for keeping, keeping funk alive baby thank you you and Keith Jackson and all of you guys Mwah. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm a big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you the viewer and listener also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net, and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibing to the rhythm of the one. We'll